blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scalpels and Tequila, a Grey's Anatomy podcast. I'm awake and disgusted. <laughs> I'm Tamsin, and I'm um, I'm just un-extraordinary. Oh, fuck. No, I think that's perfect. You're unextraordinary, nor can you say it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Look, this is not how I wanted to go into my day. And I think we're going to need some positive mantras at the end of this to get through. You hate this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. So quickly, before you jump right in, this is season three, episode 14, Wishing and Hoping. And Wishing and and Hoping. Ah, Dusty, good girl. Uh, And I was wishing and hoping I didn't have to wake up to this. Why? What's your main, if you could name one big gripe, what's the worst thing, what's your biggest gripe? What's the most disgusting thing? Um... Look, this is not unreflective of my childhood and those episodes are not great for me generally. But on honestly, Weber. Weber. Still pushing the narrative that Meredith is responsible for her mother's actions and needs to make allowances for them. Cool. All right. All right. That's not what I thought you were going to say, but I appreciate that. Weber again is defending Ellis and Ellis's actions and refusing to take any of this on board. And I think this so social media at Christmas is a lot. Mm-hmm. And this year is the first year I've ever seen where people are saying it's a hard time. No, you don't have to involve yourself with people that make you feel bad. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if they are your family. Mm-hmm. You do not owe them anything. Mm-hmm. And if they treat you that way, they are not your family. And this is the first year I've seen it. And I haven't had a family for years. And it's always this time of year that I it's hard. get forced to defend my choices. Yeah. And this is the first year that hasn't happened. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. And then to fucking watch Weber doing that, I'm like, no. Nah. Okay. But, oh, my God, there is so much more. So much more. There is so much more to hate in this episode. Do you have something that you love just to offset that? Addison's Thirst. Amazing. Okay, cool. 100%. I was also pissed off at Izzy's lack of empathy for a kid who doesn't know how to use a tampon. It's terrifying. That's up there in worst things for me. What did you think my worst was going to be and what's your worst? I thought your worst was going to be one of one of the horrible lines directed at Callie. Oh, I have a list. Oh, I'm glad you wrote them all down. And my favourite bit is when she says, I had a Vegas wedding, I embraced the trashy. Oh, <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> because I'm not someone that wants to get married. But fuck, Vegas chapels make me want to get married so bad. That is all I want. Like to the point where I'm, I wish I, I follow heaps of them on Instagram and I want to build one here. Like I would just run a tiny little Vegas themed chapel here. Like that just seems like my dream. We had one. I want one. I know we have one. I want one. What happened to it? Mm, I don't know. It was at the back of thousand pound bend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was amazing. It was gorgeous, but it wasn't. 
it wasn't Vegasy enough. It wasn't, it wasn't trashy enough. enough for me. No, I want giant fake flowers on the wall and just the most atrocious wallpaper. I want an Elvis. I want a red carpet. I want curtains. Curtains on the wall. Yeah, curtains on the wall. Velvet curtains. A huge, a huge cake, like towering cake that might even be fake. You know. That has the option for you to hide inside. Oh, yeah, that big. Yeah, I was thinking there's like a little table with a cake with like heaps and heaps of layers. Mm-hmm. Like Sleeping Beauty's completely cake. completely out of styrofoam. Yeah, totally like a fake one because it just sits there all day. Yeah. Our colours are a blush and bashful. Oh, my God. That's like the perfect name. Oh, my God. Please call the church blush and bashful. Holy shit. Why is that not? When After do I get to Magnolias? open my church? <gasps> I'm actually writing it down. Blush and bashful. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Oh, can you imagine? No, no. I'm also thinking about all the vintage shopping we get to do, Perfect. buying all that hideous 80s marble furniture to fill it with. <gasps> Still my beating heart. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking we've got George and Callie. We've got the clinic and we've got Ellis. And we've got the toxic. The toxic. You know what? I think that's all fucking besides the point. (laughs) The point of this episode is genuinely stop being horrible to people in your life. That's fair. Well, let's just start where we always start with Meredith's monologue. As surgeons, we live in a world of worst case scenarios. We cut ourselves off from hoping for the best because too many times the best doesn't happen. But every now and again, but every now and then, Something extraordinary occurs and suddenly best case scenarios seem possible. And every now and then something amazing happens and against our better judgment, we start to have hope. As doctors, we're trained to give our patients just the facts. But what our patients really want to know is will the pain ever go away? Will I feel better? Am I cured? What our patients really want to know is, is there hope? But inevitably, there are times when you find yourself in the worst case scenario when the patient's body has betrayed them and all the science we have to offer has failed them, when the worst-case scenario comes true and clinging to hope is all we've got left. So is that just the story of Callie's relationship with George and his friends? It's a storyline of Callie. It's a storyline of Ellis. It's a storyline of the toxic lady. This episode is about toxic relationships. Ooh. And I don't think that was really a word that was used back then to describe people as much as it is now. But, well, like toxic relationship number one, Christina and Burke, mm-hmm. he says, you're not wearing the ring. And she says, are you using the ring as a reason? To f- and she says, are you using this surgery as a reason to force an answer? And my notes just say, well, if you think that, it's time to say no. So true, because even the fact that you, that thought came across your brain is a red flag. Next toxic relationship. Everyone's complete and utter disrespect of Callie, unwarranted disrespect Callie. of Callie. Even fucking Olivia. I'm like, Olivia, what the hell? Get out of here. What? What's your, like, why? Why? You're not even in this little bubble. It's very fast. Are you even happy? Tiny diamonds are so great because no one will try to steal it. I mean, that's more on George than it is on Catley. Was it Meredith impulsive or impulsive good? Because I can help you get out of it. 
I don't see that as a bad thing to say. Oh my God, you're staring at me. (laughs) When someone is happily telling you that they are married to the person that they love. Yeah, that's bad. No, I wouldn't say it like that. I just, I don't know. I guess in context of what everyone else is saying, I I thought the Meredith is just trying to be helpful. Nah, it's bad. It's bad. I take it back. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, her blood is toxic, not our marriage. Ugh. You don't marry the rebound girl. Yeah, that was bad. You don't marry the Vegas show wife. Yeah, that was bad. What are your plans now? You're not moving in, are you? Yeah, that was bad. Do you need help? Oh, Izzy. Izzy, Izzy, Izzy. And I don't even think that was all of it. I I was so angry. And Addison Mm -hmm. is the only one who says, because Callie catches her staring at Alex like a bear lusting after a turkey. He is the help and I'm not going to be sleeping with the help. I married the help. I eloped to Vegas. It was my idea. I embraced the trashy. Mm. And Addison is so happy for her because, oh, my God, a supportive friend. Who knew? It's not only the fact that everyone in this fucking hospital is Mm. talking smack about Callie. It's the fact that they're talking about smack to their friend's face about his partner. It's so fucked. I actually, I absolutely disgusting. She's there a lot of the time as well. Oh yeah. She cops all of this directly to her face. I really don't understand. I don't understand why they don't like it. There's been no reasoning for that. She hasn't done anything to any of them. Like there's absolutely, I can can get, it's so hard because it doesn't make any sense. I can Mm. understand being like, oh shit, that happened. Okay, cool. But, like, be excited for your friend. And if you have concerns, speak now or forever hold your peace. You missed your opportunity. So until until things start going sour, you are happy for your friend. Yeah. That is is minimum requirement. If your friend is excited about something, you were excited about it. I just had to be excited about my friend. Yeah. Moving to a very dangerous country. You're right. But she is there and I'm excited for her. She's doing things that make her happy. The Cali hate is so... It's so confusing. I don't think George needs to stand up to Callie, for Callie. I think George needs to get rid of his rubbish friends who obviously don't support him. Yeah, his weird and judgy friends, which is what Callie calls them, which honestly she could have used so much harsher language and it would have been warranted. She she says they've been out of their little Vegas bubble for six hours now and she doesn't like it because when they were together in their bubble they were in bliss. They were so happy. It is really nice when we see them happy, like when they're laughing around George's dad, like in the last few episodes. They can be really, really cute. But George really does get, like, influenced by his friends so much so that he gets all awkward and weird and second guesses himself to the point where, yeah, he is making these comments about maybe he's having a panic attack, maybe he's... Maybe Callie and his relationship is toxic. Maybe he's allergic because that's clearly he wasn't thinking any of those things when they were in Vegas, but he's thinking it all now. That's what fucking nurse Olivia says. George is. So the the clinic opens today, $8 million and eight days later. How the fuck you do that in eight days? I don't know. With $8 million, you can do anything in eight days. Fair point. (laughs) All the hospital staff have fallen unwell. And he's lying in a bed next to Nurse Olivia. 
and George suddenly says she's toxic. And Olivia's response is, yeah, a lot of us feel that way about Callie. That's what I mean. Like, where, Olivia, what the fuck? Why? I, I just. There's been, like, the show has never shown us any reason to see this in Callie or believe this in Callie. The show has only shown us how amazing Callie is. If you wanted to tell me that Izzy was toxic, I'd be like, yeah, cool. If she had the reputation around the hospital for being meddlesome and nasty. Absolutely. Callie is, like, the least problematic of all of our characters. 100%. Probably goes Callie, then Bailey, then Addison. <laughs> and that's it. And then I, then I was then I was like, I don't even know who's next or what order it would go. Alex? No, he does a bit of manipulating. Oh, Alex is definitely up there, but he just, unfortunately, he's still pretty clouded by a lot of other past behaviours. Yeah, this is awful. This is... And the spiky little suit that he pulls on is still pretty spiky. Absolutely abhorrent. I I think I just stopped writing them down because I was shocked and appalled. But, I mean, um, not really a but, but at the end of this, Callie does get to let her feelings out at George a little bit. She's, She's... She asks him to fight for her, to stand up for her, like she has asked him so many times in the past. And she's lets out how hurt she is that he would say or he would have any thoughts cross his mind that she was the one that was toxic, that she was making him sick or have panic attacks. Like she's absolutely broken by that. And I think he finally realises it. He also makes this comment that he doesn't feel like he knows her very well. He doesn't even know her middle name. And she says, yeah, I don't tell people that. And then I have to say, when George decides to stand up for her, what does he do? Tells everybody her middle name. When she specifically said, like, hey, I don't I don't tell people this. And Izzy's immediate response is to fucking mock it. All of them do. They all stifle a bit of a laugh. We, it's, it's verging on racism, team. Yeah, it's not good. It's really, really not good. She's got an ethnic name. Yeah, a religious name. Maybe don't laugh at it yeah oh this episode this is one of those ones where you're like oh this is why gen z hates this show it's really hard yeah but george does end up saying you're supposed to be my closest friends callie is the most important part of my life now if you want to drive her away and you are masters at it you will do it but if she's gone i'm gone she's my wife what because she's a possession of yours now you decide to Put her in a glass cabinet, but before you were okay with the kids kicking her around in the backyard. He's just finally actually listening to her and finally sticking up for it. It's taken him so long to do this. Yeah. I don't remember him defending her once. Or defending, it was not even defending her. It's defending his choice and his relationship. Well, he has he has done a similar thing once before, but it's only again because she did the exact same thing and said, George, you never stand up for me. You never choose me. You always, like, you never stand up for me. And then begrudgingly he goes and kind of does a similar thing like this. He can never just do it on his own. I don't think he sees it as a problem. No, because he's so swayed. He's so influenced by them. It's so icky. No. So the free clinic has opened today, the Denny Duquette Memorial Clinic. And so far at the start, there is no patients, but every single doctor in the hospital is coming down to 
support Bailey, as Mark says it, as he leaves the pack of wolves surrounding Chief Webber, who are all throwing ideas and asking for funding. And Let's be real, Tamsin. Yeah. Dicks are out and they are swinging. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Bailey just got this shiny new project off the ground that they all scoffed at last week. And now because it's gotten Bailey some attention, they're all like, oh, fuck, maybe I should come up with my own project. Mm-hmm. So they are all throwing them at Chief. And Mark and Derek are just- <laughs> saying, I want it. Burke wants to do an experimental surgery, a bloodless surgery. Derek wants to buy some fancy machine. I don't care. And Addison is just sitting back and watching this happen. Mm-hmm. As Sloane says, oh, so you've given up. Then she's like, no, no, I'm going to fight like a girl. I'm going to let them kill each other and then it's my time. But Mark, in true Tiny Tower fashion, decides to be conniving and says, hey, Chief, clinic opens today. I think I'm going to go support Dr. Bailey. Uh Uh-huh. So he doesn't support Dr. Bailey in the slightest. It's just brownie points. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he's just going down there to say something different for a change, to say like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Because as chief, I should be supportive. But down in the clinic, it's not having the best start to the morning. Izzy is getting pretty upset because no one is coming in. She's like, it's $8 million and no patients. She's also doing that annoying thing of like when people touch something, she's like, don't touch that. That cost me $170. Don't touch that. That costs blah, blah, blah money which is annoying. Well, my biggest question is, if you've spent the entire $8 million... Advertising? How do you buy more stuff? <laughs> also, yes, advertising would have been good. But if, if your entire budget is spent, then how do you replenish? That's a really good point. It mustn't be all, it mustn't be all of it. No. $8 million is just fun to say. And Izzy says it a bunch. That would be a great drinking game this episode. Because you'd be absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, to the point where Bailey's like, if you say $8 million again. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be absolutely slaughtered within the first half and then have a shot to commiserate at the end. Um, Because Alex and Izzy end up patient fishing in the ER, which is quite fun. Are you hitting on me? It is really fun. I love Alex and Izzy together. I think their chemistry is so great. And we haven't had any really good Alex and Izzy moments for a while. So them trying to steal patients is is a good time. It's great. Um, but the clinic only ends up getting one patient, uh, a young girl whose father brings her in because mum passed away and it's tampon time. And Izzy's super dismissive of this kid, not interested at all. So she taps out and Bailey is left with Kelly and She asks Kelly's father to step outside and Kelly just lets it all spill that she had sex last week and is worried she could be pregnant. Um, So by the end of this episode, we're seeing Bailey talking to Kelly and saying, if you keep going the way you're going, you will get an STD or pregnant and you're too young to be smart enough to be making these decisions. And it, it, it all just felt a little bit rushed, like there were potentially more scenes and more interactions between Bailey and this kid that maybe got cut out because I think it was sort of talking, trying to talk about the importance of a mother figure in your life, again, trying to refocus us that Meredith building a relationship with oh, that makes Ellis yeah. 
is necessary. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I didn't see it as that at all, actually. I saw it more like the money is so worth it to help one person, even if it's not surgical, even if it's such a small thing. It's so important. Oh, no, I think at the end 100%, but I think from the writer's point of view, they needed to have a reflection. That's why it's the mother, like it's something so associated with what a mother teaches you, what a mother-daughter relationship is. That's why it's such a, a, that's why they might have chosen this story. I think you're right. I didn't think about that at all. But, no, I think the lesson that Izzy learned is that $8 million worth of one. Yeah. I do think something missing from this little speech of Bailey's is because she says, like, uh, if you're, you're, you're too young, if you, if you don't know how you can get pregnant, you're too young um, and not, like, wise or not educated enough to be having sex. And I think that is a really good lesson because at the start when she's, like, keep going the way you're going, it sounds like she's slut-shaming this tiny girl. But I agree. Yeah as well totally but what what it should be you need to know all the facts that's what I thought as well I was like this is kind of this is a weird way to go about it and it's not as sort of open and accepting as it could be you need to know how to be safe how to be protected before you just start having sex willy-nilly willy (laughs) and we find out that unfortunately this little girl did the sex because she thought the boy liked her didn't we all yeah, like this could have been so much more of a storyline. That's why I feel like something's missed here. I agree. It's it's a really good story. This Bailey teachable moment is lacking. Somewhere between their first chat and their last chat, there was another one in the middle that explained that I really liked this boy and he's been really nice to me since my mum passed away and this is what he wanted. Yeah. Because the jump at the end, I agree, sounded kind of slut shamey and then it came full circle and I was like, I think I've missed something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, though, when she says I thought he liked me and she cries, fuck, I was just wanted to wrap her up. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking girl. of slut shamey. Yeah. Can we talk about Thirsty Addison? Oh, my God. I just wanted to pick that woman's jaw off the ground. Just constantly, like, (laughs) just so shameless. dying in a hospital bed (laughs) and just drooling into her oxygen mask. I know. (laughs) It's so funny because it's so – she's so – poised and well put together most of the time and now we're just seeing her with Mm -hmm. her jaw open like constantly it's pretty funny who knew being told I don't like you would be such a turn on Mm. can can you imagine years and years of being told that if he pulls your pigtails he likes you would have any effect on us whatsoever I know I mean she and she has been married to Derek for a long time (laughs) and she is not into Mark who is constantly telling him he loves her so this is but this is what we grew up with this is what we learned I just love her taking it back as Mark is inside of her. I don't think about you. I am actively not thinking about you right now mm-hmm. as she's like grinding into him. Yeah. Fucking get it, girl. <laughs> yeah. But also pot kettle black. I hope you set some boundaries with Mark and let him know exactly why he was there. And if he says, yes, I'm more than happy to be a masturbatory aid for you, go nuts. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But if you've led him to believe it's anything more than that, 
Shame on you. Not good. I agree. Oh. So you remember how last week we had that medical case and both of us were like, I don't understand. Yeah. And why is there no gore this episode? Well, that's how I feel again about Marina and her colon surgery. Oh, yeah. What? Because like our runner, he took an aspirin and nearly died. And now apparently Marina has herbs in her bag. Herbal medication that mixed with something and it made a fucking neurochemical. Like, hang on, guys. What? What in the science fiction? I just have to add it to my list of things I'm afraid of. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is what Britney Spears was singing about. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was really good. Do you remember years ago when we just spoke in Britney Spears quotes for a whole episode for no reason? Mm, Yes. (laughs) I don't remember why. Um, So, like, what? How, how how did this happen? What herbs? So this case is a pretty big storyline today. We have she came in because she stopped breathing. She was a patient of Dr. Weber's who'd had a colon cancer removed. But her boyfriend has absolutely no idea that she has cancer and he runs in after her and he's like, oh, we had sushi. It was food poisoning. We had the is bad sushi. Poisoning? And they're like, uh, nah, it's probably something to do with her radiation. And then that's what kind of sets George off is this boyfriend being like, oh, I feel like I hardly know her. Like we met in the building and I don't even know her middle name. And now she didn't tell me she had cancer and there's all this stuff I don't know, but I love her. And that sets George off into his manic spiral. Also, how come the boyfriend doesn't get sick? I've just realized that he was in the room when George was taking her blood and violently shaking. Because George was touching her insides, right? Because it's like blood. He opened her up. He was. He had gloves on. Yeah. Uh. Her, her blood is toxic in the air. Because the boyfriend is um somehow. So maybe he's, he's already yeah. <laughs> he's just that dumb. I don't know. <laughs> um but they they take her in for surgery and um as they're in surgery, George realizes she's toxic and we realize that Olivia's an arsehole. It just didn't need to happen. Like they didn't um, need to give Olivia that line. She didn't need to say there's no like just don't give her that and Olivia stays fine. There was no. no reason for 99% of these lines. Like I assume someone being like, hey, this was a bit quick. Are you okay? Your father's just dying and making big decisions. But then Dave, if he yeah. says, yes, I'm happy, that is your answer. So he calls the OR and everyone's passed out. But, but also, though, surely the fact that George can have a panic attack about the big decision that he just made about getting married. Like, he's not okay. I mean, it doesn't give anyone the right to kind of question that or, like, say mean things about Callie, but it's pretty clear that he... Do you not think it was the external pressure from all of his friends being really judgy and nasty that forced those thoughts into his head and gave him the panic attack? No, I do think that. That's what I said before, but I still think, like, there's... Well, he wasn't having a panic attack. He was toxically. But he thought he was having a panic attack. But isn't there also like that thing of the fact that he can question it? I don't know. Uh, I get what you mean. Like there may be questions in the back of his mind, but I don't know if they came up until people started being really negative towards him. Yeah, true. Yeah, so they go into surgery and this is where we were wrong last episode because Mark and Derek are getting suited up 
and as they're getting suited up with their half an hour of air because drama, Addison rushes into the room because the poor woman is um, is coming out of anesthesia, which, again, a new fear to add to my list. Terrifying. So all of a sudden we've got all of these attendings doing things in surgery that has nothing to do with their specialty that they probably haven't done in a thousand million years, like since they were interns. They're not that old. Sorry, they're not dinosaurs. (laughs) A few years. Things that they they're not they're not kind of super capable of, but they're just they're throwing themselves in there and proving that they are capable. They can do it, and they're kind of all being heroes today. Yeah, um, Dr. Weber, who was initially doing a surgery, apparently has recovered quicker than anyone. So he's watching a neurosurgeon and a plastic surgeon do an abdominal recession, um, and he just watched his. Uh, gynecological attending. Is that what she's attending of? Just watch the OBG. baby doctor attend. OBGYN attending. Mm, I don't know her proper terminology for her job. Uh, put someone back an under anesthesia. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, but we were, <laughs> my notes just say, well, I take back everything we said um, because I never really thought about watching someone milk a bowel. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember those toys from the 90s that were like a tube turned inside out of each other and you'd squish it and it would flip up through your hands? Yes. That. (laughs) Those things are weird. They're fun though. So fun. It's actually what it's like playing with kittens. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Oh, again, everyone, apologies for last week's episode. I am fostering some kittens and they were very excited that I was in their room. Running around. Um, back to the story. So all of our interns are watching this as well, watching this kind of miraculous surgery go down. Yeah, they're all watching and all they have to talk about is how trashy Callie is. But why Why isn't George being mocked and shamed? Well, I mean, Izzy says emotionally he's a little stunted. Says you. Um, and pulls out the uh, the right. disgusting line of, you don't marry the rebound girl. And Christina says you don't marry anyone on a whim. But Christina has her own shit going on. And Meredith says he needs our support. So to be honest, in this tiny little moment. Meredith has been the less rotten banana in the bunch. Definitely. She is the one that you could potentially slice up and eat on your yogurt, but it's still probably a little bit past. Yeah, and I think at least in this moment anyway, Christina is more talking about her own proposal. She's not really talking about George. She's not being mean to George, but she's saying, why marry anyone on a whim? You don't marry anyone on a whim because that's how it's feeling with Burke at the moment because we know that she is still trying to decide what her answer is to Burke. And she hasn't told anyone that Mm -hmm. Burke proposed to her. Because I assume their answer would be why you guys haven't spoken in months. Has it been months? Yeah. <sighs> really? That's uh, that's not good. But as they're having this chat. Uh, like Burke he had a full Derek. surgery and is recovered enough to be back in surgery. Also, where's the follow-up on Burke's arm? I guess it's fine because he's he's uh, doing the stuff. 
but I feel like that recovery would have taken at least a few weeks to a couple months. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, they haven't spoken. Fuck. But they're in there and their half an hour is up. Yeah. And Burke and Derek go down. Go down. So it's time for the interns to scrub in, gown up, glove on. And Mark. Mark's the only attending left. Yeah. Mark decides that maybe that's too important. So he should um, take himself out. Oh, yes. As someone with chief potential, I know that I need to be the responsible one as the last healthy attending at this entire hospital. I should not risk myself. Yeah, because if I was to, yeah, if I was to get poisoned, we don't know what this would kind of do. And maybe that would affect his ability to be chief, basically. So he takes himself out. It gave me huge uh, COVID vaccine flashbacks. Oh my God. That's interesting. (laughs) But don't worry, because Christina is here and Christina can swim three lengths of her parents' pool whilst holding her breath. So she is the first one in. Every time someone has to like go underwater in a film or hold their breath. Do you also hold your breath? No, do you? No. (laughs) I do. I 100% do. And as an ex-smoker, I call bullshit on Christina's lung capacity because she was not in there that long. I thought that too. She wasn't in there very long at all. But doesn't matter. They've decided to tag team each other in and out. So girl power. Yeah, totally. Like where's Alex and George right now? So one by one, Christina, Izzy, and Meredith go in and out performing little moves for this surgery. Because basically Derek and Burke got her to the stage where they were ready to put everything back in, but it had swollen, hence the milking. So the only thing to do now was to put that human cling film on and pack it so that she could recover and the swelling would go down, which is basically what our girls are doing. So first off the bat, Christina, wetting some gauze and jamming it into her abdomen. Oh, sorry. I I just did a dig at George and Alex, but they've both been poisoned by this point. That's where they are. They're manly men, don't you remember? Manly men doing manly men things. Second off the bat, Izzy. Her job is to run in with the human cling film. She clears the field. She gets it stuck. Third in, our Lord and Saviour, Meredith, come in with the clothes. you got to wrap it tight, and once it starts swelling, you know you've done it. And they crush it. And they do not get nearly enough props. This is hardened Ooh. elevator material because they are not going in there with any kind of protection aside from a surgical mask. Also, how how is this? I, I need to know more about the toxicity because after the last two years, I have been led to believe that surgical masks are things that stop stuff well they can only do so much well i was expecting them to be in like full hazmat suits but i just don't think they had the time no. anyway they get through the surgery they did it um we get she wakes up in the end there isn't like a huge thing with her and her partner really she just says like i never thought you'd have to know any of this and they kind of say to each other like i thought all the bad stuff was over now that i met you and they're like, it is over. We have each other. And then he s- tells her that he knows her middle name. And that's. He calls her Marina Rose. And that's kind of how we leave them, which is a weird. I mean, it just proves that these characters are really only here to make a story for our doctors. They're kind of here to make a story for Sloan. Because at the end, when Burke, Derek, and Addison are all in the clinic recovering, 
Weber grabs Sloan and says, all right, let's go off with the good news. Well, yeah. So basically all of our attendings are like, we did all the work. Why is he getting all the glory? And also like, what about our other, what about our Mm -hmm. interns? They did it too. Like without protection. And without oxygen. They're not getting the oxygen masks that these guys are getting. I guess they weren't in Mm -hmm. there as long, but still. Still. you got to be nice to the underlings. you got to be nice to the younger ones. We say this all the time, top down. Top down. They should be treating them with just as much like, thank you for doing that. Thank you for risking your own health. They don't know what they're exposed to. They don't know the dangers of that. No. Applaud them. They were all heroic Mm -hmm. today. They needed to be in that room. The kind of... um, Next thing we see after this whole toxicity thing, which is is a wrap-up on the clinic, a wrap-up on Izzy and a wrap-up of the toxic story, is Izzy realising realizing maybe she has some guilt for walking out on Bailey in the clinic today and she goes back in to talk to Bailey and she says, I'm sorry I left, but I got to do damage control on the toxic woman. And she asks, did you ever get any patients? And Bailey says, just that one, $8 million worth of one. We can see that Bailey is really starting to find her bliss with surgery. She's, I mean, she does have it, but she's so, so thankful that this clinic is open. Bailey can really see a bigger picture, you know. Bailey is one of the only ones that sees so far outside of herself. Yeah, Bailey's one of the only ones that whose intentions are very seldom selfish. Yeah. She's not there for the glory. She's there to help. Yeah. Well, since we're on the topic of glory and legacies. It's Ellis time. This is one of the most famous Ellis episodes of the whole Grey's Anatomy history. This is one of the most famous lines in Grey's Anatomy history that is spoken today. And it's one that I've been kind of waiting for because I think about this line all the time. So Ellis today is lucid. She's woken up after five years of being in and out in Alzheimer's world, not fully connecting with what day or time it is. But today she knows exactly what's happening. And it falls on Meredith's shoulders to tell her that she has Alzheimer's. Meredith goes to visit her today and Ellis is so confused. She thinks Meredith has just been away on a trip and they've had a fight. And she's saying, last time I saw you, we had this fight and I'm so sorry. I said horrible things. And Meredith has to say, hey, mum, that was five years ago. This is actually your home. These are your doctors. You have Alzheimer's. And what a fucking horrible thing to tell someone. Ellis goes through such a huge trauma of realising she's lost five whole years of her life that she faints, her heart stops, and she's rushed to the hospital, the hospital that she knows. And Meredith is there and she has to tell people, hey, like, Dr. Burke, like she's lucid today because obviously Ellis has come in before. She's come in in the throes of her Alzheimer's, but she actually knows what's going on and it's so heartbreaking. She's been having arrhythmias and I can't help but see Burke any other way than manipulative. Burke assigns Yang to her case because she's the best. I, I, she is the best. Christina is the best at this. I don't think that's manipulative at all. That's exactly. She is. But that's also one of the first nice things that Burke said to her in such a long time. But when Ellis walks into the hospital, gets wheeled into the hospital, but the first chat that she has with Weber is in a hallway and she says, you've aged. 
congratulates him on Chief, to which he says, I'm stepping down. And I can only assume that was Adele's idea. Yeah. So instantly we get a bit of a jab into Richard's choice and instantly we know exactly how she still feels about Richard and how she feels like Adele was never the right choice for him. Adele would never understand him. Adele was never as good for him as she would have been. But also this is when Weber starts putting the pressure on Meredith. This time is a gift. Yeah, go and spend this time with your mom. Ask her all the questions. Don't work today. This is so rare that you will have this time. I think Meredith has gotten a fair amount of the truth out of her mother in the last few months. Yeah, it's a really difficult situation. But Meredith does kind of bite the bullet and go and speak to her mum. Well, actually, Ellis comes and grabs Meredith and makes her talk to her. Christina. Christina is assigned to Ellis's case, so is doing some workups on her. And Ellis instantly knows that Christina is friends with Meredith. You must be good friends with my daughter. The way you're looking at me means, like, I can tell. And they start talking about would it be okay and personal questions and kind of prying into, like, what's too personal And Ellis says, have you chosen your specialty yet? That's the most personal thing a surgeon can talk about because once you choose a specialty, it tells tells so much about you. And Christina says, what does cardiothoracic say? And Ellis goes on to say, driven, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't write it down, driven, hardworking, stubborn, nothing will get in your way, which is know-it-all as well. Know-it-all. They are the most ambitious and don't want anything to get in their way. That's an impressive answer for Ellis. That's very impressive for her. That's what she, so instantly you can see that Ellis has taken a liking to Christina, probably because she sees a lot of herself in Christina. A bit later on, Christina comes to Ellis again and says, I need to ask you something. Can you have it all? Can you have it all? Can you be a great surgeon and can you have a life? Because there is this man and he's asked me to marry him. And I know this is too personal, but I know that you tried, but you and Meredith's dad split up. And Ella says, I didn't try hard enough, which is back to the theme of this episode. It's the tiny little bit of hope Christina needs to help her make her decision. Whether or not we agree with her decision in the end, it's like it's like this, oh, this whole episode is showing the light in the darkness, the tiny little bit of hope that people are clinging to. I'm sorry, I'm quite quiet during the Ellis chat. That's fine. I just am only really capable of seeing it one way. I'm trying really hard to see the positives with Ellis or trying to have any sympathy for her and I can't. It's too close. That's okay. You don't have to at all. I'll talk about what I see, but you don't need to agree. It's so subjective and it would be absolutely horrible to be her daughter. It would suck to be that close to her. It's it's the fact that she, like you were saying before, she grabs Meredith to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Well, she says, are you going to, are you going to come and see me today? Are you going to come and talk to me? She, she, she lulls, she lulls her into a false sense of security and says, I want to get to know you. Yeah. And Meredith instantly starts talking about how she's so in love. She's met this person that she's so in love with. She doesn't. She says she's happy first. She's happy with her life. 
Mm, you're right. The first thing she talks about is that she's in a healthy, what she sees as a healthy relationship and she doesn't even get the chance to, to talk about anything else in her life before being absolutely obliterated. Well, her mum does ask her, like, is he, does he understand the demands of your career? And she says, yeah, he's a doctor, so he gets it. And then, and then, yeah, Ellis just starts on this speech, which is one of the most famous in the Grey's Anatomy universe. This is one of the most Meredith-defining moments of this whole series. This is something that sits with her for such a long time. I mean, right up into season 19, we just saw her use the language that Ellis uses in a more positive way and saying it to Zola. And the speech that we're talking about, I mean, we all know it, but it, do you want me to read it? It goes like this. You're happy. You're happy now. The Meredith I knew was a force of nature, passionate, focused, a fighter. What happened to you? You've gone soft. Stammering about a boyfriend and saying you're waiting to be inspired? You're waiting for inspiration? Are you kidding me? I have a disease for which there is no cure. I think that would be inspiration enough. Listen to me, Meredith. Anyone can fall in love and be blindly happy, but not everyone can pick up a scalpel and save a life. I raised you to be an extraordinary human being, so imagine my disappointment when I wake up after five years and discover that you are no more than ordinary. You didn't fucking raise her. You had nothing to do with the person who she is now. Uh, I mean, raise is, she didn't, raise is going to be a contentious word to use, but she lived with her mother. Her mother was at work a lot. Um, the hospital kind of raised her. She was in the hospital all the time. She was always around where her mother was. So, you know, she grew up with a, in a single mother. Well, after their dad left, she was in a single mother household, so she was going to work with her mother all the time. That, that's, that's, that's what she meant. She did, in a way, raise her. She didn't raise her in a in the way that society kind of says what raising children is. She raised her in a way. Are you saying that being a parent is simply feeding and clothing a child? No, I'm not at all. I'm just. Because that's the child with the Meredith hat. Yep. I'm not defending her. I'm just, I, I know this is a really hard thing for you to talk about and I don't want uh, I don't want anyone to get confused over the word raise because I don't want her to anyone to think that Meredith didn't live with Ellis. I'm like, when you just this woman has so many expectations mm-hmm. of her child, mm-hmm. but has done nothing to support or encourage no just no say you you can't call this person unextraordinary you can't call this person ordinary because you don't know her the, the meredith that you knew 
you say was full of piss and vinegar and drive, but how would you know that? No, she's she doesn't know Meredith. She definitely doesn't Me- know Meredith as an adult. She only knows Meredith as a as a child and as a child that needed a mum. She knows Meredith as a girl that carried the little doll around the hospital. The only props at all that I will give Ellis in this episode is calling Derek out on his bullshit. Yeah. That's it. That's all. That's the, the full extent of the props I'm giving Ellis when she says, you're what happened to my daughter. Still don't agree with that. What I do agree with is I've seen men like you before. You don't want an equal. You just want someone to admire you. Yeah. You don't care about the damage you do on the way. Ah, uh, that that was great. She just saw straight through him instantly. Yeah. Instantly. I feel like that was maybe the writers reflecting a little bit about the fact that they partnered up their main character with her abuser after all these years. They they realized the character they created. They realized the Derek that they created. I mean, all the other characters talk about how Derek is uh, too into himself and too obsessed with himself, can't see past his own nose. What does Bailey call him? She says that he's narcissistic, mm. maybe. She's not going to fall so for the, everyone else the pretty can, hair and the pretty eyes. Yeah, everyone else can see it. But Meredith can't. Which I think is a really good sentiment after last week's apology. I think so too. I think this is really necessary to throw this in there because as viewers, I reckon we weren't the only ones that caught that. And I reckon people would have caught that last when it was on as well back in the day. It's pretty obvious when someone says one thing and says, that was me trying to apologize or that was me apologizing without ever saying sorry. I think other people would have caught that. This is their way of of letting us know that they know Maybe or they've caught on to I what they're like doing. I do like that Gray finally sticks up for herself in this episode and doesn't revert to the little girl in pigtails around her mother because basically what happens is because of the arrhythmias, Yang explains to Ellis that they have to do a surgery to fix it, even though it could be fixed with medication because Ellis is notorious for not wanting to take her medication. We find out that Ellis doesn't have autonomy and that it's up to Gray to make decisions. Yeah. And Ellis finds this out too, which is, I think, quite a shock for someone who eases independent and eases fierce about the way that uh, she wants to live her life. She wants Meredith to live her life and she's very vocal about what she is impressed by and then to find out that, she has no like autonomy over her own medical care of her own life. I think would be a bit of a shock for Ellis. Yeah, and she seems like she resents Meredith for it and puts her again in this disgusting position of guilt tripping her about it when she should just be grateful. But Meredith claps mm-hmm. back and says, "You think I want to make any of these decisions? You have managed to alienate everyone in your life." I'm the only one left. And you want to know why I'm so unfocused and ordinary? It's because of you. And killing my mother is not going to be another thing that happens to me. Great. 
And fair enough. Meredith also finally just handballs her mother to Richard. She's just like, she wants to see you, like, go. And Richard admits that if the only thing Ellis wants from him is for him to go and admit that he shouldn't have chose Adele and he should have chose Ellis and he says that he can't do that because that would be lying. Which is funny because we find out this episode that they are officially getting divorced. Getting divorced. But Richard realises that... Look, you can just make someone happy. You can just tell them what they need to hear, especially, well, only really in Ellis's case where him telling her what she needs to hear, him allowing himself going into the fantasy of it all with her isn't going to harm anyone, isn't going to harm anyone at all. Adele and him are getting divorced, so he's not even kind of emotionally cheating on her in any way. And it's just going to make Ellis in probably... Potentially the last time that she's ever lucid, it's just going to make her happy in the end. So he does it. He goes and talks to her and tells her everything she wants to hear. He says, like, we would have had a really... talk about the life that could have been... Yeah, they could have been happy. They could have been in love. And Ella says, we could have been ordinary. I would have fought harder for you. And Weber assures her that we would have had a wonderful life together. We would have done our fellowship... And you would have fought me for chief and won and I wouldn't have minded because we would have kids at home. Meredith would have siblings. Kids need a family. Foreshadowing. She says we would have been happy and that would have changed everything. Life would have been so perfectly ordinary. You weren't, you never, you never wanted children and you had a child because your partner wanted a child. Why do you think that having more would have changed you as a, a person for the better when it wasn't your focus. Totally. That's, I mean, that that's the, that makes sense in terms of story, but I, I do see this a bit differently. I, I think, I think at the end of her lucidity, at the end of her discovering all this stuff, she's, she's gotten this glimpse into the future. She's actually listened to Meredith when Meredith says you've isolated everybody, you've pushed everybody out of your life. And this is just her, I think a lot of people do this kind of at the end of their life when they're looking back. This is her just thinking about potentially ways her life could have been different if she knew what it was like to be happy. She's admitting that she's never been happy. She's admitting that the way she chose to live her life, the pressure she put on herself and the way she completely fell apart when she didn't get her own way and didn't get Richard made her unhappy forever and pushed people away. And it's like it's like she's saying potentially she has regret there and it's her trying to reconcile with the life she chose and the life that maybe, maybe would have been different and maybe happiness is, is more important than, than other things and maybe her idea of what ordinary is, which is not very many people's idea of what ordinary is at all, but she has, it's like she she was so hurt by Richard not leaving Adele when she left that church. She was so, so hurt that she built up this huge shell and didn't let anybody else in and decided to turn away from love and family and everything that makes someone vulnerable, everyone that makes someone a little bit squishy, everything that makes someone maybe happy. 
she decided to push all of that so far down and twist it in her brain and decide that that was ordinary, that was boring, that wasn't special. And she focused on the one thing that she knew she could do better than anybody else, and that was surgery. And that's what she focused all of her attention on because she was so, so hurt, so, so hurt because she thought she would never have that life again. And that's not a way to live by pushing all of that down. And it's her kind of admitting that she may have chosen the wrong things. She may have done the wrong thing. Even if it wasn't with Weber, she probably should have left that door open for happiness. She probably should have allowed people to come closer. And now she's at the end of her life and she's realizing that the one person who still comes to visit her, the one person that has control over her life, doesn't doesn't even really like her anymore, sees her as a burden. And that would be a hard thing to reconcile with. And I think this moment with Richard at the end is her finally allowing herself to feel a little bit vulnerable and maybe realise where she made her mistakes. I'm not saying that I'm not defending her. I'm just that's what I see when I watch this scene. And it's sad and it's awful and she's so awful to so many people. And it's maybe just the part, the bit that's... um, trying to make us understand where she's coming from, which you don't have to do at all. You don't have to understand it at all. And that, and then she... I think that I'm pretty well grounded with my feelings considering my paternal parents. Mm. And then things like this happen and I get really upset. Mm. And I don't think I'm upset for me. I think I'm angry and upset for people like Meredith. Yeah. Being treated that way. And, you know, I know that you've had struggles with family and stuff in the past. And I think we spoke last week about all the TikToks and stuff going around being like, you don't have to put yourself in uncomfortable positions because your family hasn't done the learning and the therapy to be able to set boundaries. I get so frustrated with the, oh, but give them a chance. It's the mother. And the oh no no you're it was never that bad nothing like that ever happened I don't remember it sort of stuff which unfortunately is a lot of Ellis I just all I could have wished for in this moment with Weber of lucidity would have been yes her acknowledging that things could have been different and for the better but maybe take this opportunity of lucidity to immediately call for Meredith and tell her that. So I don't know if this upsets me for me, but definitely upsets me for Meredith. Mm. I mean, yeah, but unfortunately time is not on our side and Ellis slips back and we lose her just as Meredith comes in to explain why she wants her mum to have the surgery. And as she says, like, potentially this surgery will just help you live a little bit longer and there will be a breakthrough and we will we'll cure you. There'll be a cure for Alzheimer's and we'll get to start again. And that's the one tiny bit of hope that Meredith needs to cling to to stop her from absolutely losing it because she is looking after, constantly looking after this mother that is nothing but awful to her. And that's and that's what Meredith needs to hold on to. So she decides that her mother will have the surgery. But unfortunately, Ellis is already gone at that point, which is very sad. So we have one more thing to wrap up. And this is the end of our episode. 
And it's after the day that Christina's had, she's decided to make a decision. She's decided to make a decision. She's made a decision. She's come to a de- come to a conclusion. It's all about a little bit of give and take. And Christina's give is that I don't wear rings and that Burke shouldn't suddenly expect her to change because mm-hmm. she is a surgeon just like Burke. And here's the bit that got me. I'd watch it three times and then with subtitles on. We will have money. You can hire a wife. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you mean someone to cook and clean? Yeah, I think that's what she means. Um, It's weird. It's weird because Burke doesn't have any problem in that department. Burke actually cooks and cleans himself pretty well. You can hire a wife. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And I was it's like. It's really. What does, Weird. What does that? What does that even mean? Um, it it doesn't make any. It's not good. It's not good because Burke isn't chief. Burke isn't like, oh, I need someone to sew the button on my thing. I haven't eaten properly because I don't know how to cook. <laughs> I don't know how to wash my clothes. He's not doing that. He's not assuming any gender roles. Yeah, Meredith literally said last episode, "You need to feed Christina or she'll starve." Yeah, Christina can't anyway. So I don't think that's what she's talking about because the things, if that's what it was, what cooking and cleaning and laundry, like Christina doesn't do any of that. But it's weird that Christina separates being a wife from being a partner in a relationship. I think that she thinks that wives are a possession role. Well, it's confusing because Burke hasn't asked for any of that stuff from her. Yeah, I just, I, I wish that line wasn't there because it, it really made me go, huh? It's out of character. Yeah. She's allowed to say I just won't wear the ring because it, <laughs> what, what it, it's really weird. It's really misplaced. And there's a lot of sort of emphasis on the fact that it's a three-carat platinum ring. Mm. The only thing that makes sense with that line is what we're about to learn about Burke's mother and Mama Burke coming into town because Mama Burke places a lot of expectations about what a wife is on Christina, but it's wit because Burke doesn't. So it is really misplaced there. Well, I suppose we'll find out next week. But for this week, we are happy. We are engaged. We are jumping around. Just so cute. This is the cutest these two have been in so long. It's rare, but my gosh, when they're happy and love, they're very fucking adorable. I like to think that they didn't stop having sex throughout their silence period. I don't think they did. Nah, I don't think they did. Angry sex. <laughs> well, I suppose we've got something exciting to look forward to for episode 15. We are more than halfway through this season. What a time, you guys. And it's been a ride. So hope your first week of the year has been going good and we look forward to spending the rest of this year with you. And in a couple of weeks we're going to have new Season 19 Gossip. So soon. It's also going to be our birthday soon. Yeah, in a bit. I can't wait. How exciting. So maybe we'll do something fun for them. But in the meantime, love you all. Bye. 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 Sing it. Bye. 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 Bye